Yes. Do you like horror movies? Oh, you know I do. Do you like weird, extreme, taboo, and cult horror movies? Of course. They're my favorite kind. Well, I've got some news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and the popular Rue Morgue magazine have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society. What? Yeah. They are a curated subscription video on demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror movies. Now, genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audiences, says Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. The Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from the thousands of film hours from in MVD's vast catalog. In addition, Rue Morgue will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Dober, director of programming, says as larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. That I don't know why that word was so hard for me to <laughs> strangling. say. Strangling. Strangling, especially given the content. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with MVD Entertainment Group and Genre Champions Rumor Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Rumor Magazine is a name that everyone can trust. It's actually a horror magazine I used to buy back in the day, and they're Canadian, so you know they're extra fucking weird. And nice. Yeah, and nice. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try the service out for themselves. If you go to www midnightmoviesociety.com you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELESS SHAMELESS! SHAMELESS! We have our own promo code! Yes, you heard me, you will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just insanity to me. So, once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T Shameless. No spaces. No spaces. All one word. Shameless. It's like you're yelling it at someone. Yell it at the promo code, but also make sure you type it in. <laughs> so it's funny, real quick, since we were talking about uh, my last quarantine update, I that quarantine update is going to be so weird when I finally cut it together and put it, put it out as an audio episode because I didn't record my first 15 minutes. <laughs> so the whole bit about Gone with the Wind is gone. So that's oh, no. why we should talk about is it Is it gone... With the wind? Yes, it is. And I actually, I think I made that joke on, on the air. I don't, I don't know. Oh, damn it. Recycling <laughs> our old material. It's, okay. it's gone with the cloud. So on the newest episode, I, I lost my first 15 minutes, but it worked out well because I want to talk to you about it anyways. And then we can okay. just, you know, shoot the shit a little bit and talk. And, yeah. But uh, so in, in, in world news, well, it's not really world news. It's, it's cinema world news, which is like the lowest form of world news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hell, hell, the uh, the Aunt Jemima being removed uh, as the mascot, which is a good call, uh, has made more headlines than what I'm about to talk about. Right? Yeah. Uh, so HBO Max, in a, a in a moment of clarity, has decided to remove Gone with the Wind 
from its streaming platform. However, however, and what I had to tell a couple family members, they're not locking it away in a vault for no one to ever <laughs> see again. They want to go and I assume record a little video or maybe make a little banner to stick on the front to add contextual information, context, if you will, about yep. about the film. And it's created an uproar. And I can even say, just like, I, know, I know people who are like, I got into an argument about it. <laughs> and uh, it was all like, uh, you know, like, like oh, they can't, you know, remove films and they shouldn't do this. And people are too offended nowadays. And I was like, okay, guys, first off, the film's not going anywhere. Like, it's going away for a little bit. But one, it's available on every conceivable format available. It's a, it's around people. And funny right, enough, yeah. because HBO Max removed it, copies of Gone with the Wind are selling on eBay for buku dollars because people are taking advantage <laughs> of dumbasses. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but well it, it it cuts to like the biggest issue that I have with how reactionary people tend the the language that they use. Mm -hmm. So they're getting upset about something being pulled off of a streaming platform and the the term that is being used is people are too offended nowadays mm -hmm. when they're getting easily offended about something that really in the big scheme of things like has no real impact like yeah. nothing is changing the film's still available it's yeah. going to be back with just some contextual disclaimers and, and like but they're getting bent out of shape and saying people get too bent out of shape yeah, and it's funny like i i was talk, i was i was arguing and funny enough i was defending gone with the wind throughout all of this and saying no <laughs> no one wants to lock well, i'm sure someone does but no one no one's goal here is to lock it away actually one of the guys who was the big advocate for this who was a wisconsin native was the gentleman who wrote 12 years a slave who pretty okay. much says it's like I just he's like one I just think that people need I think people should see this film because it is important but they need to know why it was made and um, you know there's people who are like well it's fantasy it's a it's make believe movie it's it's not real it's like it's not trying to be history well it's not trying to be history but it is history because for a couple reasons one it's it's depicting a, a time in history and it was made in a time period where black people had no rights and and a a lot of the uh, the themes, a lot of the uh, perspectives being represented in those, that film were real. So many people were like, uh, well, they shouldn't touch the film. They shouldn't alter it. It's like they're not going to alter it. They're not going to remove stuff. They're, they're just going to add a little thing at the beginning. Well, And they're like, well, they should do that with a lot of old films. I don't agree with this. Yes, they should do that with a lot of old films. And then I had someone else say, it was like, well, why is this an issue now? It's always been an issue. We just yeah, never we're saw just it. It, it's just finally being addressed. Yes. Here's the thing. What's funny, the con the contextual information, the stuff that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna talk about probably who made the film, why they made the film. They're gonna talk about the fact that uh, Hattie McDaniel was nominated. And I think even won an Oscar for that role. But they're they're gonna talk about all that, and they're also gonna talk about who, wh uh, like the time period is being depicted. They're not making. They're not doing that for the young people. They aren't. They're not doing that for me. They're not doing that for you. They're not doing that for the high schoolers who are never going to fucking watch the movie to begin with. They're doing that for the people who don't see that there's a problem with Gone with the Wind. Sure. I honestly think, like, the context behind that film is not for me who knows the context behind the film. It's for the people who don't realize there's a problem with Gone with the Wind. Uh, and and the those that are are fighting to have that 
history acknowledged. Mm-hmm. That the other side of that history acknowledged. Like honestly, I feel like Gone with the Wind is always going to be a problematic film, but I f- I feel like what most people want, and I can't speak for them, but I feel like just for people to just admit, hey, this movie's problematic as fuck. But here's what it did well. Instead of going to being like, this movie's important. Fuck you if you don't like it. Snowflake. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, that's the biggest thing. Is there's so many people out there who don't see that there's a problem with the film. Right. And I think, like, and I commend HBO for doing this. I think they should do it with more films. I think, mm-hmm. and, like, I tried to equate it to the people I was arguing with who are of an older generation who um, grew up with things like Turner Classic Movies. And it's like, this is no different than what Robert Osborne would do on a Friday night before you watched The Big Sleep or whatever it was. He he gave you the context. He told you what this film's about. He told you why it's important. But then he also would tell tell you if there was anything that was problematic in the film. Sure. That's all they're doing. Or, you know, yep. Warner Brothers has been doing this for a while now. Like, Warner Brothers, and I sent them a picture of this when I was arguing for it, has a disclaimer on the front of their cartoons. I have it pulled up right in front of me so I can read it to you verbatim. Warner <laughs> Brothers cartoons has a, it's a really classy golden image that looks like it's got theater curtains. It's got the Warner Brothers seal on the top. And it says this, the cartoons you are about to see are products of their time. They may depict some of the ethic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. That's great. Yeah. Funny enough, tying everything in together with HBO... (laughs) Ed Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers had that disclaimer. HBO pulled Gone with the Wind because of problematic content. Yet yep. are altering Warner Brothers cartoons and removing Elmer Fudd's gun. <laughs> they had it right. Yeah, they had it right. So I, I, I've, I've ranted here for about ten minutes about this. Nick, what's, what's your opinion? What's your opinion on all uh, this? I, I, I've been, I've been, I've been like holding the conversation hostage. Yeah. Well, you you already had this conversation once, yeah. and it was deleted, so you were ready to have, yeah. like you had it all on deck. But no, I, you know, I I think we're both of the same mind on this, um, and it goes to the the national conversation that's being had over monuments. Um, actually, the town that um, that I work in has a monument on the courthouse lawn of who uh it's called the talbot boys statue and it has um lists of all of the now where i'm at in maryland is right on the mason dixon line so we Mm -hmm. had both sides fighting in this area you know it's we're, we're not deep south we're not in yankee territory we're right on the line our courthouse lawn has two statues one is of Frederick Douglass and was placed recently, mm-hmm. like with, I, I want to say about five, six years ago. The other one has been there for, I don't know when it was erected, but it's been decades and decades and decades. Um, it has a young man, a boy, um, holding a flag. And then on it is a list of all of the names of all of the Confederate soldiers from the area that died in the war. Mm-hmm. So it's not particularly representing a particular Confederate general or anything. Um, the county took up the debate on whether or not to remove it, uh, like 
five years ago, I think. And they decided to uh, leave it in place. And of course, that debate is being had again. And um, more council members are in favor of removal now, mm-hmm. though, though I don't know in what way. If it's to move it to another location, adding a contextual plaque, putting it in a museum, removing it altogether, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, like I say, it's how, how we address our country's sins is something that most, not most, that a lot of people that it doesn't particularly impact, mm-hmm. i.e. white people, yeah. would rather not deal with. Yeah. Right? It's like, if we if we talk about it, then we have to talk about how, you know, about those problems, and you don't feel that stress as a white person when it's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. So when it is and you start to feel that stress, it's like, oh, that's icky. Why can't we just leave history alone? Yeah. Why can't, you know, and that's where you get a lot of those. Um, I, I, somebody, um, on my, again, I'll, you know, just like you, I'll uh, keep names on Red Act, the, uh, the names, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's lots of posts that I see on social media that I'm like, you're too far gone. Like, you're too far on the other side. I'm not even going to engage with it. Yeah. There's no getting through to that kind of mentality. But then I saw somebody post, and it was one of those, like, just ones that they copy and pasted. So it's not their exact thoughts, but they related to it enough to share it. That started out with, I'm not going to apologize for being white. And it stuck with me in a way that a lot of these... Um, right wing defenses don't because a lot of them I'm like well you're just wrong Mm -hmm. the apologizing for being white stuck with me not because it isn't wrong but my reaction was I have not heard a single protester a single um, black person say you should apologize for being white Mm -hmm. which they're saying there are things that need to be addressed Mm -hmm. please stop murdering us yes you know, like, not, wow, you're white, you should, you should apologize. Like, they're, they're asking for things to be addressed that are not being addressed. Yeah. And so it really got to me that, it, or I, I think it's illuminating that people are reacting to it in a way that's like, why should I have to apologize for being how I was born? And it's like, that's not what's being asked. It's like they're 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 it's it's almost like reading between the lines of stuff that doesn't exist. It's like the reactionary uh, the way people get reactionary about Black Lives Matter. It's like they're not saying only Black Lives Matter. Like right. why are you right. so bent out of shape? I don't know. I I don't I haven't posted a lot of um, because I'm trying to take the position of listening mm-hmm. and me sharing a meme that somebody else shared. I, I don't think is going to have any impact on the conversation, any impact on society. Like, me sharing another Facebook post isn't going to change anything. Yes. All it's going to do is, like, other people are going to go, yeah, you think the way I do about it. Woo! Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's... But I did share one, and it's because I felt that there was a small chance... That, and the phrase that I've been using is, I'm trying to take the opportunities when I think there's a chance that I can plant a seed in somebody. Yeah. 
that might someday grow into more empathy, more understanding of these issues. And so I saw one post that I thought might have the potential to do that, and it was when, when the Boston bombing happened and people started saying Boston's strong, nobody responded, well, all cities are strong. Mm -hmm. And when, um, you know, it, there were several examples. Yeah. I saw a separate one that was like, when 9-11 happened, it wasn't like, we'll never forget the the Twin Towers. It's like, well, we'll never, we'll never forget all of the buildings in New mm -hmm. York. You know, when there is something that needs attention and needs our support, saying that, you know, dis... It's extremely dismissive to say, you know, and I'm not saying anything that a million people don't already think. So it's a kind of a pointless tirade. Um, but it's really frustrating. And I can't, like, I'm so not impacted by it at all. So I can't imagine the frustration of others. Um, the, the reaction of all lives matter. Like, what are you trying to prove by responding that way? What, why, why, why do you have to, be defensive to that phrase and that concept broadly. Mm -hmm. And it's tied into that same, I don't have to apologize for being white concept that's so unproductive. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just designed to shut down the conversation so that they don't have to feel uncomfortable. Pretty much, pretty much. And... And what were we talking about? Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. But then, like, I was also thinking, like, it's funny. Like, uh, uh, I, uh, I was watching Jaws last night, so kind of a change of pace a little bit. Uh, uh, I saw your The new 4K version of Jaws came out, so and I've been pestering Amanda to watch it with me for a while. And, and it's it just became painfully obvious when I was watching Jaws. It's how, like, I was saying to Amanda, like, you just change man-eating shark to COVID-19 and it's it's exactly how things are happening now it's like well we need to shut down we need to shut down the beaches you know because there's a pandemic well if we shut down the beaches we're not going to make any money <laughs> or like they're and they're really lame security measures like when they do open the beaches and the mayor's like why aren't you out there swimming and he's like wow well, you know uh, uh, and eventually they go out to the water and they're all really panicky and everyone just has to go out to the water and they have like these really weak ass like little checkpoints that you can't swim beyond it's like we're not gonna let you go out too deep it's kind of like being in a restaurant i was like we're gonna open the restaurant but you can't sit within six feet of another person <laughs> right. it's like it's like holy shit this it's 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 beat for beat like up to a certain point the, the only difference and i think it's an important one is we need to get fauci to speak with a heavy new england accent <laughs> but i'm imagining him sitting in the back of that town meeting going the the coronavirus isn't good. You're not going to stop them that way. You need to. <laughs> One funny detail I noticed about that movie that I've never put together before. So, you know, that scene when they all get together into the room and they're all still kind of making jokes about it. It's like, right. oh, is it going to be cash or check? And, you know, like they're taking it seriously, but they're not taking it. Too they honestly take closing the beaches more seriously than they do the fact that two people were just killed by a shark. And I was like, oh, shit, this is very telling to our current situation where, <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean we can't go out and eat? Ah, 10,000 people died. Who cares? I, I want to go to Applebee's. Um, <laughs> but my favorite part about that scene. So when they walk in, there's that chalkboard in the back of the room that Quint eventually runs his nails over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they do the close up on when they when they first show Quint and they move the camera back towards him, there's a picture of a shark eating a person. That was not on the board when they walked in. 
So he was sitting back there drawing this picture, <laughs> waiting for his chance to speak. And it's just the most unintentionally funny little detail that I've never put together before, that he was probably sitting back there drawing this picture of a shark eating a person while they're all having this conversation about it. Awesome. So, Nick, was there, I, I've been kind of bogarting a lot of this conversation. Is there anything you oh, want to okay. talk about before we get to our topic? I just love hearing your voice. <laughs> I'll appreciate it. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, no, I'm just I'm, I'm interested to dive into this particular movie for many reasons. Uh, if we don't have any new news, I'll, I'll read the intro. Yeah, wait. Sip of coffee for the working oh, man. I finished my coffee. It's a sip of clear water for the working man. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who lives by one simple principle. Eat to live, don't live to eat. Nick Richards. On today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show, we'll be discussing, well, a lot of things, like we just discussed Gone with the Wind and (laughs) Jaws and a whole bunch of other things, but we'll be discussing a film I legitimately never even heard of until you brought it up one time, Nick. Antonia Bird's gothic black comedy western, (laughs) Ravenous, set during the Mexican-American War, Second Lieutenant John Boyd is being awarded a promotion for an act of bravery that allowed the American soldiers to secure a Mexican base. Issue is, his act of bravery came right after an immense act of cowardice, where Boyd hid in a cart of dead bodies, hoping to not be discovered. So, as punishment, Boyd is sent to a snowy camp hidden within the Sierra Nevada mountain range to look over a motley group of soldiers. While up there, Boyd befriends Colonel Hart and finds a man nearly frozen wandering around in the snowy mountains. The man tells the story of how a colonel named Ives promised them a shorter route through the snowy landscape, but instead they got trapped for three months and had to resort to cannibalism. The frozen man, only known as, I think it was uh, uh, Calhoun? Calhoun, Calhoun. it's spelt weird though, is one of the only surviving members of the party and urges the soldiers to help his crew. Ravenous was an unusual hybrid film that mixed cannibalism, satire, comedy, horror, and Old West tropes all mixed together in a meaty stew. While critics were torn on the film, thank you, while critics were torn on the film, the ones that that ones who liked the film championed Antonia Bird's unique voice and how seamlessly she mixed all these contradictory tones. However, the critics who didn't like the film usually disliked it for the exact reasons other critics loved it. <laughs> it was bold, which made it uncomfortable for some. The film struggled to find an audience and sadly did not do well at the box office. Antonia Bird had, an, had a rather illustrious career in her home country of England and won many awards for her television work and smaller independent film work. Rav... Ravenous is also noteworthy, as it's the first produced screenplay by Ted Griffin, who would go on to write the Ocean's Eleven remake, Matchstick Men, and would help produce Martin Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street. The phenomenal score was a dual credit to famed English ambient music composer Michael Nyman and Damon Alburn 
of Blur and the Gorillas. It would also be a crime not to mention the beautiful cinematography by Anthony Barry Richmond, who photographed films like The Sandlot, Legally Blonde, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool, <laughs> but then also early in his career did Don't Look Now, The Man Who Fell to Earth, and Candyman. <laughs> what a weird fucking career. I think he also did like one of the Big Mama, Big Mama's House. Re- like you look at his career, like the first half is all dark, ominous, experimental art film, and the other half is very big, like family comedies and shit. It's very strange. That sounds like a man who just loves the work. Yeah. The film stars Guy Pierce, Deal Mc- Neil McDonough, David Arquette, that piece of shit Jeffrey Jones, and Robert Carlyle at his most sinister. <laughs> so let's play the trailer. The trailer. I'm sending you to California, Fort Spencer. We have four missing soldiers, Captain, and no bodies. We need a supportable explanation. <sighs> Captain John Boyd is about to discover... No one just ends up at Fort Spencer. We come for a reason. Yours being? Well, something he never imagined. We have a great sense of camaraderie here at Fort Spencer. (laughs) This Indian scout told me a curious story. Wingigo. It's an old Indian myth from the north. Man eats the flesh of another. (gasps) He absorbs the other man's strength. Now, one man must choose. We need others. Between having dinner and being dinner. So annoying. Guy Pierce. Ives! I'm gonna kill him. Robert Carlyle. He was tough, but then a good soldier ought to be. Jeffrey Jones. We uh bring you into the fold. What's wrong? David Arquette. <laughs> There's no guilt. I gotta eat. Ah! It's tough making friends. Eat to live. Don't live to eat. That was really sneaky. He was licking me! Ravenous. Bon appetit. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I went down a rabbit hole of that cinematographer's work, and it was like, what? Yeah. And he like he's done so much stuff and it's all so weird <laughs> like his, his, on imdb his 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 credits are broken up into two and it's almost like two very different career choices right yeah like what, how, how did the guy what who happened shot, in the middle of that yeah like who sh- how did the guy who shot don't look now and you know Candyman go on to oh, shoot Candyman was so good. Dumb and Dumber er when Harry <laughs> met Lloyd and Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. A lot of se- a lot of sequels slash squeakwolves yeah, in his yeah. later years. Like he also you, are you familiar with the comedy team The Whitest Kids You Know? No. Well, they did a movie called Miss March and he shot that. Hello, dude. Five hours till your show deep. Yes, I know that. Thank you. Are you psyched? Are you psyched? Yes, I'm very psyched. Did you shave your cock yet? What? You gotta shave your cock. It makes it look bigger. Really? What? Dude, I'm not shaving my cock. You have to. What, are you just gonna have shaved balls and a hairy cock? That's gonna look weird. 
shaving my balls either. Oh my God. Tucker, I've got this, okay? Eugene, no, you don't got this. Look, man, I've already slept with 12 women. That's punishable by stoning in some countries. That's great, Tucker. That is great, and I've only been having sex for two years. That's six women a year. Do you know what that means? That means in 10 years, I'll have banged like 600 chicks. Look, did you get the limo? I'm supposed to pick Cindy up in half an hour. Horsestick.mpeg's got it. He's picking you up. Who is Horsestick.mpeg? Oh, that's Phil, man. That's his MC name. Phil's MC name is Horstick? Dot MPEG. Dot MPEG. That is so ridiculous. Dude, you are so white. And what's with this attitude? This is gonna be the best night of your life. Look, I'm not even sure I'm ready to be doing this, okay? So do you have any helpful advice? You have any tips on how I can make this a wonderful, romantic night for Cindy and everything she wants it to be? Shave your cop. Yeah. Okay. It's so weird. And I don't, I don't know. Like he directed, he shot first kid. Like that movie of Sinbad being the the the, 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 the Secret Service uh, guy. He was right that protected yeah. the president's son. Secret Service agent Sam Sims has a style all his own. Sims, what is that? This is a black tie affair. I know, sir. I got a cover. I'm black. And I'm wearing a tie. But now he's facing his most dangerous assignment: protecting himself no! from the president's son. Definitely the most powerful kid in the universe. He's <laughs> just a kid. How bad can it be? So, you like snakes. Oh, he me! Guarding America's first kid... Unlock the door. ...can be the world's worst job. How many times has Mr. Sims been left back? <laughs> but being the first kid... The school dance is Friday. Do you want to come? ...is even tougher. Do you think you're better than everyone? I can't allow you off the grounds. What are you doing down here? I don't have any friends. You can't keep that kid locked up in his room. I can't dance. You said I can't dance. Oh. So it's like it's it's so weird. Like I'm 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 legitimately fascinated by this guy. And and it is the the film looks so beautiful. Mm -hmm. One of the so I'll start with a couple of thoughts before we get into your first impressions. One is I. Last time I saw this, I was in college. So it's been quite a while, at least a decade, probably decade and a half. Um, it did not quite live up to my memory of it. Okay. For a couple of reasons. However, I did still really like the movie watching it today. Mm -hmm. um, one of the less... One of the things that I realize watching it now is that it takes a while to get going. And I think that would be much more of a burden if not for the beautiful cinematography that keeps you engaged in this. It's so vast, mm -hmm. but still isolating. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's like you get claustrophobia from the openness yeah. of, of the landscape. And it was captured really, really interestingly um in an already just beautiful place to to film in um so didn't quite live up the the soundtrack is well i i guess before i get into the soundtrack um what i'll say is i first mentioned it with regards to the soundtrack yeah i have vague uh, recollections of that um and then i did a solo episode where i talked about like my top five uh soundtrack tracks yeah and the main theme is one of them i love blur i love the gorillas like 
it, it's right in my wheelhouse. And it's so... If you stripped the soundtrack away and then said, okay, pick the soundtrack pieces, you would never pick anything like what they did with it. It is so disparate to the to the tone of the film. And at times it gets silly, like downright goofy. The movie? And you're like, yeah. yeah. And particularly with how the soundtrack, and like when there's that chase sequence, <laughs> they're, they're up in the mountains, Robert Carlyle is revealed to be the villain, and he's chasing after people, and it goes into this like, kind of like banjo strummy techno chase scene. Like, it's silly. And it was like, it was just really terrifying. And then it's like, and you're like, what the hell? Just like, it's so goofy. Honestly, the the, the Um, music in that scene reminded me of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer and Grandpa created their own like sex drug and they're going around grifting people. Oh my God, yes. And yeah. he's, they're, they're being chased out of town because they realize that they were, uh, they were grifting them. You're the worst show I've ever seen. You're a disgrace to the medicine show business. They didn't start chasing us until you turned on the getaway music. <laughs> like I just kept thinking, I was like, man, if they'd stop playing at that chase. If they'd stop playing that chase music, they'd be fine. They'd be fine. <laughs> um, so, but like, despite how unexpected and silly it was, like, it kind of worked for me. Yeah. In this way that, like, I think if the soundtrack wasn't so bold. If it didn't take it in such severe directions, I think this would be more of a middle of the road movie for me. Yeah, and honestly, I completely agree with you. Like, I think so. I kept not not in terms of subject matter, or even the way it maybe a little bit the way it looks. I just kept thinking of the movie Midsummer. If you've seen that yet, no, no, I want to. It sounds and really good. Because the reason I kept thinking of that movie is because the tonal shifts in both of these films are just so extreme in a good way. Where, uh, you know, you'll be laughing one moment, but then, like, really tense the next. Because, like, that was the thing that I got so much out of Ravenous was how tense it was. And how the music kind of played into it. And actually, uh, like you said, without the music, for good, mostly good or bad, if they would have done a more generic score, I think it would have made the movie even sillier. I feel like they're... I feel like the composers were watching the movie and were playing into what they were by the fact of them playing kind of more silly music when silly things were happening for me worked better than like, well, this it is like a silly scene. It. Let's try to, let's, let's try to fix it with music. And it would have made right. it fucking weird, <laughs> you know? And like, you can get away with that. That's been done. Like, uh, I'm going to bring up this again later on, but like, for example, the lost boys, the Lost Boys did the opposite, where they're like, okay, some of the stuff's a little silly. Let's just really amp up non-silly music. And it weirdly worked. But yeah. other films can't get away with that. And <laughs> I, I kind of like, I feel almost like uh, Michael Nyman and Damon Alburn are very aware of the movie, the tonal shifts, and what they're making. I feel like everyone was. I I, I feel, because like... Their characters were goofy when they needed to be. Characters were serious when they needed to be. And I fucking loved seeing Guy Pierce in a very non-heroic role. 
Yeah. <laughs> like from that opening that opening bit with him all eating the very rare bloody steaks to like <laughs> oh. seeing how much of a fucking coward he were he was. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm I'm intrigued. Well, I like my grounding with Guy Pierce is with Memento. That yeah. was the first time I was introduced to him. Same. And that's not a particularly heroic role. So this this felt like Memento Guy Pierce to me and, and it felt more like a return. Mm-hmm. For, in terms of his performance for me. I completely agree. Like he's it's a very interesting role that I feel like a lot of other a lot of other actors wouldn't have taken. Like cuz Guy Pierce was at the time I would say he was kind of like an indie leading man, meaning that yeah. he never quite got on the level of say like a a Matt Damon or a Brad Pitt <laughs> type where he was he was helming these big movies. Because he always chose really strange films to be in, or something not yeah. always strange films, but he chose smaller, sometimes more uh, weird films to be in, and he was kind of a leading man of those. And and he, I feel like he kind of like was always right on the edge of breaking through and never quite did. Like I don't feel like going back to Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, a lot of those big leading men types around the same time. I don't think, or Ethan Hawke, like he was kind, of, he was a, I would say like a step up. He was kind of in the same place as Guy Pierce, but a little bit higher up. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of those guys would have taken this role. I feel like Brad Pitt would take this role now. Leo DiCaprio would take this role now, but they wouldn't have yeah. at that point in their career. And I find him to be a very fascinating actor, um, for that reason. Like, and he's and. Funny enough, looking at him in this film, I don't even know if I necessarily think he's a likable character, just so much as he's an interesting no. character. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll I'll say I think your description of Guy Pierce's place in his career compared to others, I think, and and this is gonna sound particularly critical coming from me, who's usually about the praise, like. I don't think he's as good of an actor as any of the rest of them. Like I, I think he hit the 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 pinnacle of the roles that he's capable of playing. Mm-hmm. And and I could be wrong. You know, you you say that about some people, and then they take on this role that you wouldn't expect, and they knock it out of the park, and you're like, holy shit, that guy can act, or yeah. that that woman can act. And, that, um, and that, exactly, and I should mention, he's not a bad actor. Yeah, but I don't think... He's won more awards than I ever could for acting. (laughs) Sure. But I think, like... I think he was out-acted in this film. Oh, 100%. By by all the people around I hate Jeffrey Jones with every bone in my body because he's a piece of shit. Okay, I don't know anything about... Well, I'll talk about that in a second. I I diddled when you said that. I'm I'm not familiar with it. Uh, Well, I'll talk about that in a second. I think uh, Jeffrey Jones is a piece of shit, but, like, he was acting kind of circles around. (laughs) Right. Uh, And same thing with uh, uh, um, Robert Carlyle, who never really had a big career. Like, I'm looking at his... His stuff train now. spotting, train spotting, train spotting too. I like, I like the full Monty. I saw that movie way younger yeah. than I should have. <laughs> was he in the Usual Suspects? Um, I don't believe so. He was okay. in some of the big films he was in. He was in the Full Monty. He was in Train Spotting. The World Is Not Enough. He was in The Beach, which I actually really like that film. Um, and then you know, Twenty Eight Days. So tw- Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Uh, and then just a bunch of small stuff. And like, he is so good in this film. Fort Spencer, uh, California. Western Sierra Nevadas. 
Excuse me. I'm sorry. My name's Colhoun. F.W. Colhoun, servant of God. How are you feeling, Mr. Colhoun? Well, not bad, considering. Probably looked like death. Well, not bad, considering. How long were you out there? Three months. Without food? Help him. Good Lord. Yeah. Good Lord. You should have seen me three months ago. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. feel like uh, Guy Pierce was kind of outmatched, but at the same time, Guy Pierce didn't, Guy Pierce didn't really have a whole lot to work with. Like, yeah. I feel like his his character his character is kind of like bumbling suffering. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's kind of like a bumbling doofus in, in a he charming didn't have, way. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't have suffers. great lines. He didn't have heavy dialogue. He just kind of... He, he, and funny enough, he did show how good of an actor he was because he made everything, all the weird stuff he had to do believable. And like he expressed so much through just looks. <laughs> but yeah, and he didn't He didn't get his big impressive speech. He didn't get any of that like he got he got to he got to be he got to be scared he got to suffer and then he got to fight in the end <laughs> right uh, okay so we're we're branching off into tangents but i think real, we need well, before to... we finish the tangent oh, should i tell you what yeah. jeffrey jones has done oh sure <laughs> um well he has been charged for uh soliciting uh nude photos from minors and has uh, also he he's supposed to be on the sex offender list, but has uh, refused to update his status on that, and has been uh, uh, gotten in trouble many many times for soliciting underage minors, both I think male and female, and uh, uh, likes to dodge the the charges for it. Piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Okay. So okay. <laughs> So that's Jeffrey's why he's crap. That's why whenever I refer to him, he's he's the piece of shit Jeffrey Jones. It's that would be his title in the movie. That would be right. the title of the movie, the piece of shit Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> Let's bring it back to where we typically jump off with. And what are your first impression uh, reaction to this film that you not only hadn't seen before, but hadn't really heard of before? Um, I like. I thought it was really good. I didn't love the film, and funny enough, I I always really appreciate a film that is not afraid to be bold in terms of its, its tonal shifts. But that doesn't mean they're always going to work. Uh, funny enough, for me, the, what, the beginning of the film, I, I I it reminded me a lot of a very strange film that I talked about recently called The Passion of Darkly Noon. Um, which stars Brendan Fraser was directed by um, Philip Ridley and because the reason it reminded me of that is because at the beginning of The Passion of Darkly Noon I want to say for the first half I kind of hated the film <laughs> and I was like this movie is terrible I was just kind of more laughing at it and just having a good yeah. time just because how, how like it, it couldn't take itself seriously even though it was trying very hard to be serious and in the middle of the film there was a turn that made me think oh god this movie's a masterpiece actually <laughs> and it was kind of building like I, I wouldn't say the beginning of ravenous was nearly as goofy or ridiculous as strange as the passion of darkly noon but it was like 
okay, this is kind of weird. This is kind of goofy. This is kind of fun. I see what they're going for. And I kept thinking there's probably going to be a change somewhere. And there was, <laughs> and boy, but it was wasn't there. nearly as profile. Like, it wasn't like, oh, shit, this movie is like a hidden masterpiece I've never seen before. Sure, it was yeah. Like, no, oh, it's... this is pretty cool. I'm enjoying this. And yeah. it never, it it, 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 for me, it never really moved itself to the next echelon that made me think, oh, shit, this movie is, is something special. And I do actually think it's something special. It just didn't, like, it didn't leave me with, like, this inert need that I need to go watch that again. Yeah. Right away. Like I liked the film. I thought it was really good. It was it was fantastically made. Uh, it was just missing something. I think this a lot of this goes back to the conversation that we had when we watched Suspiria mm-hmm. about like the place of art films and mm-hmm. and pushing boundaries and trying things, being bold, and you know the ap- appreciating that for what it does. And at the same time, knowing that it's not always going to work. Yeah, and I, I should specify, too, like, I, every day of the week, would rather take a film like Ravenous or The Passion of Dark Noon or Suspiria, where it's a film that attempts something bold. Whether or not it works, there's no guarantee with an art film or something film that's got a little bit more artistic bent behind it. There, it, it, whether or not it works really comes down to the person. There's not going to be, it's not going to be like a Jaws where 90% of the people are going to be like, this film is a masterpiece. When you make a bold choice, people are going to love it, people are going to hate it. Yep. It's just going to yep. happen. I would rather take a, I would rather watch films like that that are really fucking shooting from the hip than opposed <laughs> to a film that's like, well, we don't, we want everyone to like this. We don't want to annoy anyone. Like, well, we can't do these weird music choices because people aren't going to get it. Well, then you just kind of make something that's boring. Right. I'd rather see a film, and this is not this case, but I'd rather see a film that's really bold. Like, say, the first half of Passion of Darkly Noon, which I really fucking hated for the longest time, <laughs> uh, that tried something different. Even if I hate it, I'd rather watch that than something that's just kind of bland. Yeah. And and there's, you know, a, a conversation here to be had about, like, your preference for an underproduced film versus an overproduced film. Yeah. You know, and there, it's certainly a spectrum and there gets to be a point on either side where it doesn't work certainly, but I tend to prefer things that are a little underproduced that aren't quite as filtered. Yeah. By by, you know, 15 layers of, well, let's not do this, let's make sure we include this kind of um yeah. When you get too many torches in the kitchen, it distills it down to something and at times that can take a lot of uh interesting life out of something and I, i'm the complete same way like i'd rather you know film is a collaborative art there's always going to be various cooks in the kitchen but say something like ravenous they're all the cooks they are trying to accompany the dish that the head chef is trying to make you know, right. it's not like a marvel <laughs> film where they're like well we like this steak but we think it'd be better if you did this and maybe we should have this side instead and you know they're they're trying to take the life out of it yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember saying one time to my good friend Kyle, who's been on the show a couple times, that when watching a film, I'd rather I'd rather honestly hate a film than feel nothing about a film. Sure, yeah. I'd rather watch something and be like, I hated that film, and it doesn't happen often. But like for me to be like, eh, it was a movie, I saw it. That to <laughs> me is just I don't I don't care. Right. I don't know. The the worst creative sin is to be forgettable. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I guess when I go see a movie, um, 
there's a a, a, a podcaster and, and film professor that I like quite a bit. His name is Elric Kane. He hosts a show called Pure Cinema, and he also does another show called Shockwaves. And he often says, and I've kind of attributed this to my own how I feel about things too. He said, "I'd rather." Um, God, how did he word it? Um, when I go see a movie, I want to feel something, anything, good, bad. I want to feel something. And he said that's what honestly what he looks for in a film is. And he's very similar to me. Is like if there's one good scene, the film wasn't a waste of time. And that's kind of yeah. how I attribute myself to. I want to feel something, even if that something is bad. Like I saw a movie a couple a year or two ago called Hellfest that I really hated. <laughs> but I left fired up because of how much I hated the film. Right. As opposed to like a movie like, you know, like there's a Gerard Butler film called like The Bodyguard or some shit like that or like uh The Bounty Hunter where it's a romantic comedy and it's like I left me like it's ugh, it's a I guess it was a movie. Like Right. I don't know. We're kind of we're going again tangential, but like I weeding <laughs> it back to everything we were talking about, I appreciate the weirdness of Ravenous because you there's there's a couple of different ways you could have taken this film. You could have taken it more on the horror side, you could have taken it on the comedy side, you could have taken it on the western side, and instead they're like, No, let's do all of these things. <laughs> and right. it's very also, like, just looking at the cast, you know, Neil McDonough, who is another, inter- he's, an- he's a really interesting character actor who never really kind of got his due, if that makes sense. <laughs> you- was he the drunk? Uh, he was the blonde-haired guy who was shirtless in the... In- oh, yeah, yeah, the super intense. Yeah. I think the the issue with that character, I think it had the potential to be a great role. It was just a little bit too two-dimensional. Like, yeah. it just needed a little bit more depth. Yeah. And that character would have been much... Yeah. Much and better. then, like, that piece of shit Jeffrey Jones, you have him, and he's a very strong character actor. But you like, And then you put David Arquette in there playing a drug addict. It's like, you have all these weird, inter- like, strange characters all mixed together, and, like, no one really feels like a... You, you, can't, you struggle to figure out, like, what they're going for. And I right. weirdly like that. I like, like, being kind of lost. <laughs> it kind of feels like you're in the hands of a mad person. It's like, what what are you trying to show me? And like, you know, like most movies, like, you know, you start off the film and you like, you see like some act of heroicness from your weak character and you get that. But then you see how much of a coward he was hiding amongst the dead bodies. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. You know, like, and yeah, I don't know. I, I found it really interesting. I would say for me, trying to bring back this term that we stopped using for a while that was kind of like my thrill house moment was with seeing him hiding amongst the dead it was really early on but like when i saw yeah. that character trait i'm like oh that's interesting yeah what else and that you also gave that also gave him that first taste of human blood yep yep which i didn't it. connect back until later on in the film and i was yep. like oh shit that's interesting that, that's why he'd, he'd been feeling out of sorts he he wasn't getting that thing that he was now addicted mm-hmm. to um. Yeah, I totally lost my train of thought. But I will say, uh, before you get back to your notes, where the so if that was my thrill house moment, my I would say my opposite thrill house moment, like where the film kind of <laughs> started to lose me, was when Robert Carlyle came back as Colonel Ives and was like, "Well, there's no, it's 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 weird because like we know, we know he's he's bad." And, like, yeah, th- that builds tension. But I-, I feel like there was never any 
doubt that he wasn't evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, it lost me a little bit there. Um, and then there is a little bit that Amanda wanted me to bring up to you on this podcast, too, because she's watching okay. it with me that really annoyed her. Uh, <laughs> so be- at the- near the beginning, when they meet Carlisle, when he's pretending to be uh, 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 Calhoun. Yeah. And he's like, well, I've been on here for three months. And he claims that they ate an ox and like was it two ox they ate two oxen four horses his dog and then that only lasted them a month that frustrated the fuck out of amanda and the house guest emma they're like wait a second wait a second they did we had to pause the movie so they can go do research yeah. um a cow which is only a little bit smaller than an ox assuming that each person eats one to two pounds a day would last an average of one month to one to one and a half months. With all the food that they ate, they could have lasted the entire winter. Yeah, the it, it's. I don't think it's enough to. I think what they're saying is right. I think their concern is right. What I will throw into the mix just to help pull it back and excuse it a little bit is that that's probably assuming proper butchering. That's fair. There's a lot of meat lost when you don't know what the hell you're doing. That's fair. Um, so and then obviously I, I, food I, preservation isn't as much of an issue because like the whole outside. Yeah, is I also a took it freezer. too is that like he <laughs> didn't quite have his story completely planned when he when he right, said that. Right. But I, I think it would have been great if just one character been like, "That's a lot of food." Like just to kind of like add some like because for me the entire time I was like oh I don't trust this guy because that doesn't seem believable I feel like one character should have been like like two oxen and four horse really it 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 would have then not been like a plot hole and instead would have been like an intentional adding to yeah. what they were and already like, trying to do with yeah, the story yeah but she 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 requested uh I I mentioned it. she because she said that two oxen alone would have lasted the winter. Right, yeah. <laughs> yep. So she requested. I, I want to say, to the best of my recollection, I think Raina made a similar comment. <laughs> well, they're, they're too, they're, they are very similar. We, we are Yes. But uh, no, I, I had to, I, because I told her I would, I had to make sure I brought that up. Oh, one thing that I wanted to, it, it was interesting your comparison to uh, The Lost Boys because this movie plays out exactly like it a does. vampire no, film exactly. but without any vampires like they're they they just they took the vampire story template and just like swapped them out for like yeah. donner party uh 18th century or some 19th century cannibals and like i kind of dug, dug it but i guess but what bugged me a little bit since they were promising like when to go from the, at the beginning of the film the fact that we didn't like we <laughs> we didn't really get a wendigo type film we got more of a vampire film it kind of bugged me a little bit but both the lost boys and this film play out in a very similar way of kind of like this indoctrination into the world and then using your newfound powers to fight back against it uh because like their their big fight at the end just felt like the final scene of the lost boys yes yep and i actually like i loved loved how Mm -hmm. that fight ended with them both in the bear trap, and then Robert Carlyle's, um, spoiler alert, Robert Carlyle's comment of like, 
if you die first, I know I'm going to eat you. Like, we both know that I'm going to eat you and then I'll survive. But what are you going to do if I die first? Like, are you going to give in to that urge or are you going to die and actually do what you're trying to do? And I think it would have been so much more effective. You know, it's it's easy playing, you know, what is it? I'm not a sports guy. Sunday, Monday morning quarterback where they armchair quarterback and shoot the in the yeah that's the thing um but i would have loved to have seen the movie end right after he posed that question and we just watched them in that trap for a second like and then we don't know what like it it would have ended it on that moral question of what's stronger that that uh cannibal urge that's in him or the power to do right um versus like him the person coming in and seeing it i think he then like he did the right thing because he was being observed uh instead of doing yeah and i think it would have played into his character and it would have been really interesting too because like his character trait is cowardice and not doing something exactly it's funny why not doing something he could have done what's right but then it's also like he kind of gets over his cowardice because he chooses death it's it's easy to fight the battle mm-hmm. that's outside of you it's easy to fight the evil that is outside of you what do you do about the evil that's inside of you suppress it and i think and i think that's what that final scene scene was and i think it could yeah, have been yeah stronger. i completely agree and i it's like i feel like I, I barely remember how the movie ended because I just don't feel like it was it had that it wasn't as strong as the way the movie began and I yeah. I completely agree and this, this is such an interesting film because it's Some, a very mixed bag and it's kind <laughs> yeah. of crazy to think that this got a theatrical release it didn't do very well but um, um, but it's, it's interesting that a film like this got any attention yeah um back back to the the vampire thing something that i noticed in that final fight is that guy pierce used as weapons both a silver dagger against robert carlisle and a i mean it was huge and oversized because it was like a timber but a uh, sharpened wooden stake that i i found thematically appropriate for a film that was either inspired by or heavily you know comparative to a Mm, vampire film yeah that 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 those little like silver daggers and and wooden stapes were being used against the the and like i try not to like try to say oh i would have done this differently because i don't i don't like doing that because i think the whole cannibalism myth i think the the vampiric tones of it where where is a smart way to go but like I said, since they were kind of like, I was hoping it was going to delve a little bit more into creature feature because <laughs> said with the use of the Wendigo, um, you know, the, the Wendigo is a, it's, it's vampiric like it's cannibalistic supernatural creature, but like it has a, it's got a, a very specific type of look to it. It's, it's more of a creature. It's it's kind of got some depictions of it have like a deer uh, what are they called? Antlers. Antlers and, with a bone yeah, and face. I, I guess I was hoping for a little bit more of that instead of just like, oh, here's 
they look exactly the same. They just got blood on their foot. Like, even just like a slight change in feature. Like I guess, uh, yeah. With the inclusion of that, I just started feeling like, oh, this could be a really interesting creature feature. And like, no, it vampires are. Way. I think vampires can be cool, but it's it, they're they've been done. I think this is this is a more interesting take <laughs> on it. Don't get me wrong, but like even the Lost Boys, for example, had their vampires look different. They weren't just your normal pretty face, you know. Yeah. Like Robert Carlyle's yeah, beautiful pretty exactly. face. Exactly, and his very perfectly <laughs> manicured facial hair. <laughs> out out in the wilderness yeah, for yeah, three yeah. months. Um, this this film does have, in my opinion, the single best death line ever. When somebody receives the 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 death blow and Robert Carlyle when when that bear trap snaps down on him. The best what was death it? line ever. That was really Oh my sneaky. I forgot about that. How did I forget that line? <laughs> it's so good. He's like, uh you, you. got me. <laughs> You're good you <laughs> It was so good. And that was of course the precursor to the conversation about like i know i'll we we know i'll eat you mm-hmm, you if you mm-hmm, die first mm-hmm. but um so what else is on your note notes nick like I, said, I didn't really have any um, so i'm kind of uh using you as my per my projective point and i would say one thing I, I i will say real quick is all the acting in this film is we've we kind of talked out talked about it anyways but i thought it was really great and like some of the actors i wish would have had just a yeah. little bit more to do like jeremy davis who yeah, David, David Arquette. Arquette. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Davis, who plays like the the religious character, he's great in everything. Oh yeah, in. oh I love I love his um, yeah. mannerisms in this film. Like everything it, I've seen really that guy good. in. <laughs> when Robert Carlyle licks yeah. him, <laughs> him reacting yeah. to that, he fucking licked yeah, me. Everything that guy is in, he's just phenomenal and i just like every time i see him and like he doesn't really have a whole lot to do is like man just give that guy something just a little bit because like he has just this un especially at this point in his career let's see where he was in his career when he made this so he's a couple films in he had done saving private ryan and uh twister and a couple of things like he's just got so much untapped potential that like yeah. i, I kind of just wish he could have been a little bit more of the film yeah yep and he did like i loved he he was very Mm -hmm. soft-spoken but then made up for that with big um express like he reacted to things bigger like when robert carlyle's character calhoun gives him that last rhyming the right rhyme for that religious song he's trying to write and he's like big eye is like yeah ah yeah that's uh like he didn't have to say anything because his face said it all you could feel funny. him re- responding he's, to he's that he's such a good actor like, i've seen him in a lot of stuff like he was also in justified and i loved his character in that uh even though he usually plays bad he is such a good actor he could have played guy pierce's character and done it well he could have done yeah, sure he could have done calhoun and ives and i think he and as much as good as robert carlisle was i think this guy could have given him a run for his money <laughs> he could have played neil okay. mcdonough's character I, I feel like he could have I, I i he could have played all so many different <laughs> characters and done them very well 
Yeah, like if yeah. you if you've not gotten a chance to see Justified, he's fantastic in that show. I I have not. That's the the TV show with uh, yes, Timothy Olyphant, yeah. right? He was also in Lost. Yeah, he had a, a a role in Lost and a role in Hannibal. Okay, and uh, I don't remember really much about uh who he was in lost i think he tied into like the last couple seasons yeah. like some important figure okay i i watched it but, all uh, but i can't he place is, the role he is like he's phenomenal in in justified and like i said in in this film ravenous you're only getting a little bit of him uh and you can just he i if i'm remembering correctly um i believe his character in justified is he's obviously a criminal but i be, it's been a couple years since i've watched i have a feeling like he was uh a cult like leader in the backwoods okay i could be remembering wrong but you know i had to i had to give some love to jeremy davis because i just don't feel like he, uh <laughs> everything that i've you know i read about this film you know they're either talking about guy pierce they're talking about robert carlisle no one's really talking about him right yeah and they uh, you know the the ensemble that they put together i think played off of each other really well and created um a tone that is probably a lot of why yeah. this movie stuck and actually with one me. thing i'd love to see happen it in a world where they're making mini series based on movies and they usually do like more successful films i would love to see this <laughs> reimagined as a mini like maybe like an eight-part mini series and really kind of take its time give us time to yeah. know these characters and like that's what I, i'd like to see more of this film surprisingly and like i feel like sure. if they had a little bit more time to really build it up and spend some more time with them and i i would personally bring a little bit more of the wendigo legend into it as opposed to straight vampires i feel like it could be a really interesting show yeah and i'd i'd actually go the opposite way with than you is i would pull the wendigo part really? out entirely like i felt like it was tacked on um a little racially problematic i think there was that that like native mysticism mm -hmm. stuff that um doesn't play well today um but again, I guess and the, the, i'd i'd play up the cannibal element and not try I and guess tie in my way of piece. viewing is it, it, it felt appropriate for the t like i feel like if this was a contemporary film i would feel that way but it felt appropriate for the time period it was it was depicting sure yeah but i can see where i can see where the, you're coming with that yeah um I think that's the majority of my notes. The other thing that I have notes on that I don't... Re oh, well, first off, uh, my second note is that the titles, the, the opening titles, so... <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they looked like, but I remember not liking them. I, the, the font that they used was bad, and the way that they, they like... Uh, animated oh, in I was so... That. like It was not right for really this cheap. movie. I also really hate every poster for this film. Just oh, do I, a quick I haven't Google search and of have... ravenous movie posters, and they all suck. They all go direct to DVD. Like, all you need to do is get a really beautiful shot of that, like, open mountain landscape with, like, maybe a small figure in silhouette on, you know, some, like, snow-covered mm -hmm. hill, and you've got yeah, it. Like a lot <laughs> of the posters all make it look like cheap horror films. 
um very poor early days of photoshop where there's usually like a knife <laughs> guy pierces face some of them have oh yep i know it from the some of them from have the like dvd teeth. cover yeah yeah uh, and they all just make it look like really cheap horror films or they try to add in like a little bit of religious iconography because any movie that's got a nietzsche quote at the beginning of it needs to have some religious iconography to it and they all just look right. like do you remember the 13 Ghosts movie poster? I just rewatched that movie. <laughs> they like all a few remind weeks me of like ago. knockoffs of like 13 Ghosts or like the Blair Witch 2 poster. <laughs> right. Which I guess at the time for 1999 onward, that was, you know, appropriate. A black back, totally black background with no texture yep. to it. So it's just this stark black with some yep. imagery. Usually in the someone screaming. Of oh my god uh, an ambiguous yeah. face screaming or you have you have the characters faces in the reflection of a knife it's yeah right i yeah, know what you did last much. summer and it's like <laughs> i don't know i it's funny enough there's there's a rolling stone article which i have not read yet but i will post onto the shameless picture show page um that is uh why ravenous is the greatest cannibal western ever made and I was like, well, that's a very specific genre. But then I thought, oh, I can think of one other cannibal western. So I guess it's not a weird, it's not a weird genre. Is it well, cannibal okay, the musical? I guess I can think of three of them then, because there's that, there's can, there's <laughs> this, cannibal the musical, and Bone Tomahawk, which I think is Bone Tomahawk okay, would be the greatest cannibal western ever made. Though to be fair, I have not seen Cannibal the Musical yet either. That that's been on my like. It's a fun uh, one. I, I've seen I've seen the like the the Shapoopy yeah. song uh, sequence yeah. like on YouTube or uh, not uh, it's a Shadongle yeah something like that. Anyway, I was singing it the other day. It was funny enough. Shapoopy. Shapoopy. Uh, so I have to see that. Maybe we can do an episode. I would on really like musical. that. Honestly, I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's also making me realize there's not um, a lot of like. I'm sure there's more than I'm thinking of, but like they, the fact that a lot of them don't come to mind is just not a lot of like horror westerns. Like I said, I'm yeah. sure there are some. I just they uh, don't come to mind very quickly. There's the From Dust Till Dawn films that kind of fit that mm-hmm. horror western yeah um yeah no there's there's potential for an yeah, untapped yeah. market so nick was there anything else you wanted to talk about with the ravenous i feel like i'm uh, i I'm don't think so of... there's like i feel like there's something to discuss in that scene where um where Guy Pierce's character breaks his leg and the that intense blonde is just hanging there with mm-hmm. that creepy smile on his face and he decides, like, you're safe now and decides to eat him. But, like, my notes are too scant and I'm not able to... That's what I've been turning over mm-hmm. is trying to um, figure that out. And I don't have anything, so watch it for yourself and let me know why it's so awesome <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, it was a fascinating little film and it's like, and it's one of those things that's like, well, it didn't completely work with me. I, I was sitting there like, why isn't this movie a bigger deal? Because this, yeah. is, I feel like this movie is kind of ripe for rediscovery. 
Sure, sure. And it, yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it at the. I said it at the beginning of this. I'm going to say it again. Yes. The soundtrack, though. Yeah, like, I want to go soundtrack. Out and buy that soundtrack now. I I would just like put that on and listen to it. It's so discordant, and the t- like the the meter of it is so off. Um, but then really like, but then it'll drop into these like really. I, it's, yeah, and actually, it's before wonderful. we, it's beautiful. Uh, when we exit the episode, I will go out on the main titles from that movie before we go into our awesome. know, little ending bit. So you you all get a little cool. bit, get a chance to hear a little bit of uh, <laughs> the really interesting soundtrack. Uh, okay, so that was that was ravenous, and I know that it's like an intense time for everyone, but. Uh, we we appreciate you listeners and we hope uh, you shame, shame listeners. listeners and we hope that uh this helps um fill your time in a positive way i completely agree and then i'm also like and, uh, i've been sitting here yeah. like ruminating not that we have a lot of listeners but i was like man how cool would it be to have like t-shirts at some point and then i just keep thinking it's like oh fuck yeah i don't know if we'd be able to sell this shirt but i just i i want a t-shirt of and I, I'm gonna say it now. I need I need to actively make sure it's a thing in each episode. But I really want a, uh, a, a th- what's your thrill house moment T-shirt or something like that. I just think that'd be so fun. But I don't nice. know if we could legally sell the shirt. <laughs> right. Um, I know I've done some uh, T-shirt design stuff through. I haven't used Redbubble, but I think their platform is similar. Um, where you can just upload your own design and then it's a uh, print-on-demand cool. thing. So then we're not needing to come up with... We don't have to buy 50 t-shirts and then like, make sure that we have to sell X amount of them. Otherwise, that we would lose be good. money. Um, so we can look into that and work on some designs. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Um, and I'm, I'm down with that. And if you're not down with that... If you're not... Then we've got two words for you. Yeah. What are those two words, Nick? Watch, Watch movies. movies. Yay! We did it. Every time. I, ding, we, ding, every ding, time ding, we make ding, it work, ding, I ding, cheer ding, a little ding, bit. Ding, ding, ding. Cheer a little bit. Uh, yeah. All right, Nick. Have a good night. Have a good week.
The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Byers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.